Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Brain Trust Podcast. My name is Adam Vass, and I'm a tabletop game designer in a closet in Glendale, California. <laughs> quarantine got extra bad in Adam's place, and now he's <laughs> just quarantining in the quarantine. Uh, my name is Will. I'm a game designer from Boston, Massachusetts, America, broadcasting live from the house on the sidewalk in, ju- in which I just screamed at two people for not wearing masks on the sidewalk. <laughs> I did that. I didn't scream. I, do, I have this new move. I'm going to describe this move so everyone here can do it. It's perfect because you don't have to speak. Um, you are passing someone that's not wearing a mask. You are wearing a mask because you're smart, and you know every time you hit the sidewalk, you're going to put on a mask. Uh, and you just kind of do... Um, you know that you know that hand motion where people are like, you can't touch this, you can't touch me, and they kind of wave their hand left to right across their mouth. You can kind of hear... Yeah, the John Cena. Mouth. The John Cena. You can't see me. You can't see me. <laughs> you can't see me. Um, is that... Is that part, is the pun part of that? Anyway, I, I went like that and I said, what are you doing? I was on my phone with my mommy because it's mom's day. And I said, I love you, mom. And, <laughs> uh, and I did that. And then, um, yeah, they seemed like uh, anti-vaxxers on site. So, <laughs> yeah. Love it. Yeah, that's the kind of energy I'd like to bring into this episode right now. <laughs> Just combative on the street, saving lives energy. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i i don't interact with anybody you i am fortunate that when i take the dog out to piss he i don't even see anybody so and that's pretty much the the extent of my ex- outside exploration uh mm. i did go to the post this week to drop all of my pending stuff so all of the pre-orders of a guide to casting phantom that happened after the Kickstarter, those are now shipped and fulfilled. We should we should post uh, an update that it's done. Yeah, we should do that and post all the pictures and nice things people have said. Do you have uh, uh on your on your walks? I have this something that you are kind of tracking the passage of time based on the movement of one piece of trash on the, <laughs> on the way on your walk. Like you just see something like I don't know if. My example is that there has been, I've been following the path of this uh, gallon of milk that has been on the street on the way to my blue box so I could send letters and shit. And uh, the first day I passed it, um, it was a full uh, gallon of milk. There was a hole in it, but the milk itself, sorry everyone, had curdled so none of the milk came out. Um, And then a day later when I passed it, this was last week, uh, the whole thing was exploded across the whole sidewalk, just fully killed. Someone killed this gallon of milk. <laughs> I have pictures if anybody wants them. But um, so now I'm uh, on the on the trail of a murderer who has murdered a gallon of milk. I might not agree with the way that milk is and exists in the world, but I do not think they should be killed in the street. My uh, local sundial of trash <laughs> is. <laughs> Is a, a beautiful like Macintosh give it to a teacher apple like oh. like the tall kind that it just has the shape of like a cartoon apple and uh, someone uh, turned it into a bong from which they smoked weed because <laughs> you can <laughs> like, uh, right there on the street you can tell that no one ate any portion of this apple but there are strategic. Uh, <laughs> weed insertion points. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a bong apple, and it's on the sidewalk. So, um, 
no one has done anything. It's always in the exact same place, but the deterioration of the apple, the apple um, contracting lung cancer and then succumbing to it, its illness is what I'm witnessing in, in slow time. So that's, I, I feel like you just kind of notice these exquisitely depressing things like <laughs> your emphysema apple and... <laughs> Uh, my milk murder there has just appeared a toilet in my front yard <laughs> i don't know why that's not the thing that i said first there is a full no seat and no top tank cover just a clear white porcelain toilet in my front yard um and you know it's only a matter of time before someone uses it as a joke yeah like I, I might find myself sleepwalking out there and shitting in a toilet in my front yard. Like it's just a possibility for me. Uh, There's also these two shoes that hang like Mike on the, uh, <laughs> like on the fucking power lines near classic. the basketball courts near my apartment. And the day quarantine started, I, used, I looked at them every single day on the way home because I loved it. I was like, oh, these blue Jordans look oh, really cool. They look like a kid's pair. So someone. You know, after winning a game or something or whatever, I don't know, just tossed two Jordans and nailed it. Um, and on the fucking first day of quarantine, they were knocked down on the ground, and I was just like, "Oh no, <laughs> the spell protecting JP is been broken." <laughs> this, the the fucking my sundial. I like this idea you've brought of sun neighborhood sundials is how you kind of tell environmental time. They, yeah, they don't tell hour by hour time. They tell like season by season or month yeah yeah the, the month or the the emphysema apple has at most i think two months to live uh so if i ever walk past and see the core i know it's july it's, you're just tracing the yeah do you think you're gonna do a funeral for it you know what's crazy is there hasn't been any animal that ate it like Oh, that's true. I can't believe... I mean, I know I live in the city, but there's still squirrels and birds, and there's a lot of lizards around here. Um, I guess they don't like apples, probably. I don't know that. I've never seen a lizard... speak for any lizards. ...engage with a, a fruit. <laughs> but yeah, nothing's touched this apple. It's pristine, except for the one time it smoked weed. It's, it's like a PSA. <laughs> like this... <laughs> you only have to smoke once, and this happens to you. You turn into a dead apple. <laughs> this was a pristine, beautiful, give it to your teacher apple at one point in its wow. life. Wow. And it just shows, you know, how uh, drug use can. I feel like a lizard would like a cherry. Cherry feels like a lizard fruit. I've got some cherries in the fridge. Maybe I'll try it. Find some lizards. They're always out. Right now is like peak lizard time because the sun's out and their guns are out. It sounds like you're a Martian when you say shit like that. <laughs> This time of year is the main lizard part. Yeah, they love to bask in the sunlight, absorb the warmth. They do push-ups. Really? Yeah, uh, it's funny that's too. On, that's in Venice Beach. Those are those. A, a friend of mine texted me yesterday uh, to talk about witnessing lizards doing push-ups. And I was like, I never really, like, I've seen that, but I never really gave it a, a second thought. And it's really a thing. They just, like, will start doing push-ups. Makes me want to put a really strong lizard into a role-playing game. <laughs> uh, I feel like we might meet one in Hackheads. That seems like the, the appropriate environment. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> Just a really jacked lizard. I now, 
I, I at this moment where I was watching The Endless, which is a great uh, little sci-fi thriller horror movie on Netflix, where there are characters in it that I just realized that I either, after watching that movie, made a lot of characters in my games like that, or it was this like synthesis or the synchronizing moment where like I saw the characters that I really like in role-playing games in this movie. Um, do you have like stuff like that where you like, I get it with movies a lot where I'm like, I'm going to recreate the scene shot for shot in a role-playing game and just have it be a scenario or something. I definitely do that. Um, I, well with characters, I think a lot of the time I take from horror, like bad horror or what I've noticed because I'm watching older series of American horror story now where Oh, good I'm luck, like, dude. Yeah. They're, they are what they are, but like, there's the one I'm watching right now, which is the Roanoke season. There's just like um, a human who has like a boar, a pig's head or a boar's head, like, and has a butcher knife or whatever. And I'm like, cool. So Hello! I will just be using like nude human with boar head. And like, that's a good menacing villain. Uh, mm. I threw it. Oh, so you, you, you go for monster design and villain design there. Yeah, because it's not like there's any history or story to that. I don't need the lore of the pig beast. It's just like, that's cool. (laughs) And immediately like a visceral image too, because I'm doing theater of the mind shit. So like just saying there's a nude man and a boar's head sewn onto his shoulders is like, oh, that's fucked up. It's scary. I find that I really like scary descriptions that are vague, vaguer rather than particular. Mm. Like if... I've had a lot of success with like running harder horror games and saying things like, uh, like when say it's like a game with fighting and you like swing a sword and, and kill whatever boar man monster, you just say like, and then you really spread the boar man across the room or something like that. Like something that's not descriptive, but is also like makes you make a mental leap with the way you're describing it. I think that works for certain players. Yeah, because I've also I've had difficulty in the time I ran Mothership where they're like, they know that in the book there's these, and and even the illustrations in the book are pretty abstract, not super explicit, very stylized. But they're <laughs> the, like the the cover actually I didn't realize was someone like with their guts out until like a year after writing <laughs> the book. I was like, oh, just the interesting line drawing. So I'll like struggle and fail to describe one. And they're just like, show us the picture. And I'm like, okay, it's this scribble shape. And it's like, okay, either I'm doing just a bad job or, but I, but I more so, I think it's just like these players don't want to engage with, like, they, they want to win. It was a different like thing that I'm used to. I, I'm so like in the bubble of story games and like soft gamers and stuff that i forgot that there are just people who want to come in shoot everything they see and like level up i had this moment where i was realizing i i posted something on twitter this week about uh like using a gm technique that had the players act as um viewers of the thing and the whole thing was like you know you're a GM and you're telling the players like, Hey, you're coming up on this Ridge. There's some robbers hiding. You don't see them yet, but they see you. What do you do? And so I basically like puts, gives you more authorial um, power over the scene. Anyway, 
a lot of fucking gamers got in my mentions, and it just made me remember a lot of stuff about playing with groups that I really didn't jive with at all. And in particular, a gamer that I played with who uh, was like very early in doing games, and I was like, you're in a library, and there's like a lot of books. And then he was like, okay, I pull a book off the shelf and read it. What is it about? It's <laughs> <was> just like, <laughs> uh, it's about this. And then he pulled another one is like okay what is this book about he's like it's about this <laughs> and then i didn't know how to shut it down he just kept on reading every single book in the library and sometimes when i close my eyes or catch my breath i still think i'm gming that session of that game where i'm still making up books in the library i have i don't have patience for that i go what what book do you want to read who who goes even into a library is just like uh like Wears a blindfold, spins around three times, and grabs the first book, and be like, I'm going to read this one. I'm going to check this one out. That's just some psycho shit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he was. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just like, you know, players just kind of not... That's some computer game energy, you know? Play to win. Yeah, as as computer game designers, we're very familiar with that whole thing. <laughs> yeah, when we... I mean, like, I know how to get the high score, but let's have some fun on the way. Yeah, like, we're going to get the high score, but it's about the journey to getting the high score and being the ultimate winner. <laughs> we're game gods, if you think about it. <laughs> we're some of the game gods, Adam. <laughs> some, just some. I mean, it's a pantheon. Uh, we're real. This is a wild app. Yeah, you like this? Let's keep on going. Someone in the Discord was like, I became a trust listener after being a brain listener. <laughs> I No, I think it was the opposite. I think that they... <laughs> the... Yeah. Wait, that was Adam B. But Shouts out. I really like the idea to, yeah, that you listen to enough and you're like, I know how this works. I'm done with this part. <laughs> well, now everyone's going to look for their sundials. I mean, that's just a game we could just put out right now, which is like the <laughs> sundials. And then you just go and then you find whatever you're walk sundial is and then you take take a log of it every time and it's like a six page scene or something public hit print Easy. apple p hey apple p baby <laughs> all right well <laughs> we'll come back from a break and talk about different things <laughs> We could also talk about layout. Sure. <laughs> That'll be an interesting like thing to try to discuss. Because we are uh, the brain trust layout jam or whatever. Yeah, uh, I'm down. I did, describing v- visual things is always a challenge. No, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so for good layout, you're going to want... So you see where this box is? That's called the gutter. Uh... <laughs> Shoot, oh, I, um, we'll just leave this part in. I (laughs) finished a game that I've been working on that's going to my Patreon backers, and then also uh, part of it is free for the Postal Service Jam that ends this week. Uh, Wink, wink, publish shipwrights. 
Shit. Uh, <laughs> but I'm writing that down right now. Uh, this episode comes out on Tuesday, so this game is out today called Aurora. Um, is my modular social distancing and play it later game. So it's three phases, and the first one you play in the mail where you create a deck of oracle cards together. The second phase is where you create a city and its flaws and the people who live there using those cards. And the third phase is where you tell the story of those people overcoming those flaws. Um, I realized that it's a hope punk game, and I was like, huh, I didn't know I had that in me, but here we are. Hell yeah, you do. Um, and I'm pretty proud of it, and it's available today. Shoot, what was I starting with that? Oh, in, the, in the phase one, I made it a demo on Itch, so you can get phase one for free without, if, if you want to buy the whole thing, you can, you can buy it, but... Um, and what's that itch and Patreon link for people that just heard it right now and are like, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what is it? Worldchampgameco.itch.io or patreon.com slash worldchampgameco. Uh, but in the free version that's just phase one, I included a two-page spread that is explaining how to upload your card files to Roll20 for online play. Oh. And I think it's super valuable because... Again, this this game is really through and through designed for play it now and play it later. Like play it now when you're in isolation and play it or continue to play it when you can actually get together in real life. And that's like, mm-hmm. I think, great. Like I, I we talked a, yeah. a few weeks ago about like designing for the moment and doing things online and considering online things, um, but also you want to design for a future when you don't have to stick to just that style of play. Um, But me writing rules for uploading files to Roll20, in addition to trying to describe to someone how to use a computer, is also very much like what we talked about last week where you're writing the rules for Solitaire, where (laughs) it's like, uh, do I need to teach someone how to like open Finder on their computer and like find their file, or is that step well enough implied and I can move on? Uh, it's been a while. That's my whole day job. It's like it's like wild. Yeah, it's really strange, and I think we're de- we're definitely going to get into that here talking about layout. But I in, I like embrace the challenge at this point. Yeah. Of not taking purely knowledge for writing. for granted yeah i mean good job thank you so, you know someone's gonna need it and you're 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 applying that yeah i i kind of realized too from us trying to get guide to be more online friendly um that i don't actually know how a lot of that stuff works so from uh tinkering with guide online and seeing other people successfully integrate online play with that uh kind of inspired me to dig a little deeper and actually figure it out to the extent that i could share that information even if it is just a single spread in a zine and and it's not in the print edition it's just in the the digital because i figure if if you're engaging with the digital version of the game you're more likely to be planning to play it online versus mm-hmm. if you have the physical you might be planning to play it in person um and you know page page real estate is very valuable if i left it in i'd have to have two more pages of rules because i have to have increments of four right uh 
But that's all to say, we, we, as in the greater brain trust, not just Will and myself, are admiring and engaging with and like inspired by this sort of Morkborgian style of Porcus <laughs> <laughs> uh, po- Borgus post Borg layout. <laughs> Borgesian layout. <laughs> the the Montoyan the Mork the Mork fuck, bourgeoisie. Do you know the you know fucking Longmont Potion Castle call where he talks about the Artesian Montoyan Artesian connection? <laughs> He calls it trombone place, and he's like, "I'm uh, looking for uh, that some of that Montoyan artesian connection." <laughs> and the the guy gets so psyched on it, he's like, "You should come over and jam. This sounds great." Anyway, the Mark Borgen artesian connection, <laughs> uh, layout that is um, rich in flavor and style, while also being able to convey information, and it is such a difficult sweet spot, especially for. of indie game designers who are self-taught layout artists who we all just got affinity or or whatever and we're like figuring it out together which is really neat um because there's one thing and like i engage a lot with this style of indie rpg that was where i learned not just layout but like gaming where you have this half letter size soft cover book with one inch margins and a single column of text like no frills but super clean Mm -hmm. and then you have something like Morkborg which uh, is sort of the impetus of what we're talking about but there's obviously there's a lot of other good examples but it's the hot button one right now it's a screaming fucker of a book like every spread is meant to be instagrammable and there's over a hundred typefaces, and generally the rule is like don't use more than two typefaces at all. Uh, yeah, or even like you know if you're gonna switch between sizes of type, they should all be like you know half of each other. So you should have one that's twice as big and one that's you know shit like that. Like a bunch of uh, quote unquote typography rules. This is a thing that I get into, or I'm told a lot in like graphic design. Or especially with illustration, when you get into drawing people and anatomy, it's like you're supposed to have studied the right way to do it. Like you should be drawing fucking academic medical grade illustrations of like everything to scale because it shows that you understand the rules. And then style comes from. I want to break this rule and adhere to that rule. and. I think to some degree, actually to a large degree, the designers who did the Morkborg uh, graphics know the rules because it's still exceptionally well done Yeah. while yeah. abandoning those. Um, and then there are other... Uh, it, it's hard because, like I said, we're, a lot of us are self-taught and figuring it out as we go. There's inherently going to be just like things that don't work, that are inspired by something that does work but doesn't follow the rule like you're not going to learn how to do efficient or professional grade layout from copying something like Morgborg which betrays the traditional like rule set yeah Morgborg is basically a lookbook for Mm -hmm. the most ostentatious page of your game like 
Morkborg just goes ahead and is like, yeah, we, uh, we're going to flex as physically hard and all our veins are going to pop out and those are going to flex too. I would say um, to a large extent, Mothership does this too. I was just looking at my copy of Mothership thinking the same thing. And it, yeah, it they, gets not worse. It gets more extreme the further like supplements that they've made every time they push the envelope a little bit further away from traditional layout and design into this like art space that's really interesting but so difficult to pull off yeah like i'm I'm flipping through a pound of flesh right now and it has black pages with white text on it and it's never a problem for me in this book and for other books it is like the the worst thing that you can do i think um what what we should do is probably like give people some tools for like how to build their toolkit of like how to build your layout brain pretty much i think that's like the big thing like if you want to do good layout you need some you need some tools to how to like break apart and really uh, deconstruct layout that you like and how to figure out what they're doing. I think my first thing in that case, and this is true of almost every like art style I've ever done, painting or um, graphic design or whatever, is just copy shit and steal shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. To the full extent of, I think the first couple books I did layout, I, I think. Uh, all we love we leave behind i probably if not for that book but in that era of my career air quotes um would fully scan a page of like a fiasco or like a a larger clean design indie book scan it in and then like put that page into i use adobe suite so i had indesign and i would like drag rulers in InDesign to exactly match where theirs Hell are. Yeah. And then yeah. be like, I know this looks good because I have this book and I engage with it and the rules are nice and clean and everything's where it needs to be. So naturally I would also want one inch margins with like a half inch footer and like um all these things are stolen, but like it comes down like uh people in I think there's a, a good parallel here with uh game mechanics and like just like game design in general is a yeah. lot of us will take mechanics or ideas from games prior and you don't really second guess that. Or, and it's like, you also don't own those. You don't own mm-hmm. a 5% chance on a D 20. No one does. It's just like, that's <laughs> math. Um, Actually games workshop does, <laughs> but it's, it's on a matrix in that same way though. Like half inch margins are, or like a quarter inch gutter or whatever, all these, things are formulas that like no one invented or no one they're four they're 400 years old yeah just fucking take them and don't feel bad about taking them because (laughs) if you see something and it looks good like you want yours to look good you have in front of you a cheat sheet of how to make it look the same that's super valuable um yeah and i think your strategy of like directly tracing basically builds your instincts like you're basically just being the the layout designer in the most mechanical sense which is what they were doing yeah i was circling around that like drawing too. like if you trace enough flowers you know how to draw a flower without seeing one at that point you know like tracing in general it's very frowned upon but it's something that every artist does and more people should do it's like a weird societal thing to be like you don't know actually know what you're doing um and i think layout is such an extreme case study of 
why wouldn't you steal this why, yeah. or borrow if you don't like or you know be informed by um yeah so yeah now i don't do that or don't need to do that but i i took those things and also short of taking an actual tape measure to an actual book in your hand um it's the easiest way to see how things are done to pick it apart and see what you do and don't like and then take that information and build on it to make your own thing yeah i don't i don't do as much direct layout but when when i am uh basically like blocking pages for character sheets or what uh, some, I think, spreads should look like. I will make little wireframe diagrams, either based on stuff or... With character sheets, it's it's really interesting. And I bet you have a lot of cool stuff to say here because you've made a, about a like three dozen character sheets. <laughs> um, like uh, how you uh, know what information you want to present and how you allocate that information. I know from... What I do is get like blank notebook paper and make spreads, like small spreads, and just put squares where things should be, like how I physically want to use the paper. So I will make a small version, and then I'll make a paper prototype of the full thing um, with still the boxes, and then just like have it in my hands, uh, and just to like have the use case for it, and then I'll make more uh, legit mock-ups for it until I... I'm not just like you know, name, portrait, stats, um, whatever. Just, like, taking that time to build from the ground up what it should be. Yeah, wireframes are a really super useful thing in layout in general, too, not just a, a character sheet. I, I've started doing them for, because a lot of the, like, shorter games I'm publishing are between, like, 16 and 24 pages now. Um, it helps me allocate how much art I need to do and how much, nice. like... If if this section ends early and I end with a blank page, like like I said earlier, print books are in four page increments, so you always have to have that sort of in the back of your head in design. Um, but yeah, I've learned a lot. I uh, learned to integrate that into gaming actually from Shane Long, who uh, oh, nice. did Hoser and Mystery Mutts and. Um, has just like also a really rich graphic style from it's their, so good from uh. another life like and then brings that yeah. to gaming and i think a lot of the stuff that's kind of popping off or becoming popular um guillermo contijo is just a graphic designer who finds themselves in gaming so like people who bring these exterior experiences and and knowledge bases with them to the des- design sphere um then get to push and shape that design sphere in a really interesting way. And I think we're kind of at like a pretty uh, exciting time in gaming for that, because you see things like Morkborg or even a guide to casting phantoms, which went pretty hard in the paint for um, an artsy style that does still convey information effectively. Um, Yeah. Like having, yeah, just it's as stylish as possible while being still usable and uh i'm excited to see where we are even a year from now for stuff that's in progress now yeah definitely the montoyan borgesian connection (laughs) definitely recommend their layout stuff and they were the ones who put together the pinterest board of role-playing game layout that we were looking at the other day that both of of us managed to get on (laughs) several times yeah very cool (laughs) 
what's up flex um yeah and i'd say the the best thing like what i learned about being a book designer and a book layout liker is to just consume as many types of layout as you can whether it's travel guides role-playing games hey don't focus on role-playing games definitely don't expensive art books cheap art books uh fucking textbooks like just good layout that is anywhere like there's layout everywhere in the world so finding out what you like and more importantly like what you hate is really important looking at zines looking at zines that aren't about games like hardcore zines and stuff um there's a lot of really great some of it to you can see like you can draw the line from that more board graphic style to like fanzines and the sort of crime of convenience of like i taped this this note to the paper before i xeroxed it and it wasn't straight but like it looks cool this way like Um, there's not a coincidence that several of the best rpg layout artists make tour posters and gig posters like it's it's a straight line for like you know i talked to in the discord about packaging design being a major inspiration of like you need to capture someone's attention immediately and uh, also convey really quickly what you're about. And yeah. uh, in a store of thousands of items, like a grocery store, um, how do you stand out among those? And I think I can take that and then go to an RPG convention or something and I all my stuff stands out in that in that wall because like it's informed by that philosophy, but that's also what I want a muddy vampire book cover. Like, right. I want to pop. I want to have pink covers or, or like really bright, uh, type treatments and stuff. But, um, I think there's also something too. like, do you want, do you want to make your five E supplement look like five E? Like there's a reason to do that for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, something that we we didn't talk about but is functional is like not not every layout wants or demands to be morkborg like yeah, definitely there's also yeah there, there's a lot of value in not doing that or in, in doing minimalist stuff um in Extremely doing clean like and- s- style match for the style you want to have or that you're trying to attract yeah absolutely and you again that's like where um diving into is just making sure that the same time you spend like reading a book uh you should you should dedicate a portion of that to just like what is the feeling of physically reading this page that's something that i can't stop doing now which is like the second i start reading a book with uh really comfortable margins i feel like i'm at a spa and like i'm <laughs> like someone is putting cucumbers on my eyes and it's perfect like just the the pure mechanical like act of reading thing is 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 really key and then you, you know the whole next goal is how do you make it a use guide or something i don't know if you if you're thinking about like popping out your covers uh speaking of the how to make a D 5 book just uh take um that's something i d- did for shipwrights take a portrait or not a portrait just a piece of fine art and just see where the title looks the best on the art itself. Like how to put words onto full bleed art is a is a skill and you can just figure that out. Like 
Yeah, and that's an ongoing thing, even though a lot of that information for me comes from poster design and, and band stuff. Um, but then, like, when I was at Big Bad this fall, um, and I set up all my stuff on racks, and I realized uh, a good half of the my... upper third. Yeah, a, a good half of my games have the title at the bottom. And then when it's on a rack, you don't see the title anymore. And so, like, I, there's other factors in, in addition to just style pop, like, um, which is interesting. And it's like, yeah, layout and design are such an ongoing learning thing. Like, you'll never be done figuring out how things work or what is good and bad about it. Yeah, it is, it is a type of design. So as game designers, uh, you, you should like that. <laughs> uh, it's probably also worth mentioning, too, that not everybody... Like, you shouldn't have to master it. Um, yeah, no. We, we talked... We, it's been a while, but, like, game design is such a hustle where you have to be the designer, the writer, the uh, publisher, like, the marketer. You do every job. Um, sometimes just say fuck that job I'm gonna hire someone else or I'm gonna just like not care about it so much um, I yeah, think that there are books of mine even that I've kicked out that I'm just like I'm just gonna do the stock layout and I'm gonna call it good because I can't invest more time or money into this project um, and not everything needs to be a hundo and not everything like it comes down to my general philosophy of like not everyone should have to figure out how to do every portion of this on their own. It's yeah, just an yeah. unfair expectation. So there is a lot of imposter syndrome that comes up, especially when a designer is also good at graphics or layout. Like you made a good game and you made it look good. Like you're the end of the world. Yeah, like a lot are. of people can't do that. And it's not, not because they don't want to, or like, it's just, uh, yeah two different skill sets a lot of the time and it's unfair yeah. to expect that you're gonna get it really quickly or you're gonna like you should want to be in the top one percent of skilled admired like printed pieces i don't know i think it's worth having realistic uh goals within the sphere of like if you like it and you think it looks good like fuck yeah but don't don't die on the cross for <laughs> uh your artistic layout it, when you're you have another job or you have like design as a hobby or you print yeah, exactly. 10 copies like not it's not the end of the world either layout's not the like, end all be all thing by any means yeah i do serviceable layouts when i have to do them and i just know how to direct a layout artist to the thing i want or the thing that like will let them go wild mm -hmm. and and good with it. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's another conversation how to talk to a collaborator and stuff. But yeah, my my personal layouts for zines and stuff is just like serviceable, and some of it's good, but like it's yeah, I I don't practice. I just have looked at shit enough that I can um I can know. I can get a feel and have instincts, which is good. Yeah, I think like it's the ability worth to developing, get those instincts. Yeah, yeah. De worth developing those instincts either by tracing or just like engaging with and then taking in more styles of media. Super valuable, but also like don't put eight hours in a day, you know, unless like yeah, no. you're going to be a layout person. You know, it, it's sort of just another spinning plate of game design and like, yeah. yeah. 
only give it what you think it's worth. Because at the end of the whole project, you'll realize it's it's one of those things, and like um, it's it's a kind of busted philosophy. But the idea of like good typography is invisible. Like good layout, yeah. a lot of the time you'll never notice and bad layout is the one that catches your eye as like screams. Oh, I noticed that this is busted. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's not, it's, it's a job that, uh, a lot of people will struggle with that. There's not always a ton of joy in because when I find myself doing layout for other projects, a lot of the time I feel like very grindy. Um, it's such a unique facet of the whole project that, uh, maybe doesn't. Uh, I don't know. I, I flip. I'm flip flopping because it's like it's yeah. important sometimes, and if you want it to be important, go for it. But I, I guess I'm giving a a pass too to say like, if you think it doesn't matter, you're probably right. If you think it does matter, <laughs> yeah. you're also probably right. If you yeah, if all you focus on is the cover and the character sheet, you're doing a great job. Like, I don't know. That's great. And the the level of work could just be every time you see a piece of layout or graphic design that you like just take a picture of it and then put it somewhere yeah my camera roll on my phone is full of that and even just like yeah. a lot of posters i save on instagram or i'll screenshot other graphic designers work come back to that copy it or be inspired by it. even like color palettes i, I like to do that just take them mm-hmm. from other places because like you didn't make up red i want that red i'm gonna use the eyedropper <laughs> you didn't make up red and black i'm about to get that uh i will also i think it's valuable because we were we were talking about it in the discord a little bit um i'll send you a link to include in the show notes of just like a bunch of resources for the stuff that's free for like stock photos or typefaces because a a thing that comes up is like where do you get cool fonts or where do you find an image i could use for the cover because i'm not an illustrator or whatever um I stumbled upon a really good collection of resources for designers that are free. So like illustrations, photos, font files, um, a bunch of stuff like that. So we'll share that. Radical. And uh, of course we are on the brain trust discord all in it. There are some real heavyweight graphic designers in that discord who uh, are very generous with their time. Yeah. That's part of the reason I, I say like, if you think it's not important, you're right. Because I think because of our click, especially there's a really high bar and it's not yeah. because anyone's actively like trying to best one another. It's just, yeah, we, we've stumbled upon this microcosm of the design community and it just so happens that a lot of them are, are geniuses. So like it's, <laughs> it makes gods. it really difficult sometimes because you you naturally have that imposter syndrome when you immerse yourself in the sphere of like, oh shit, this person is doing an incredible job, and it makes me think I'm doing less, uh, mm-hmm. and that can be a, a thing that's really hard for a lot of people to deal with, especially when you're extremely online. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I guess there's not really advice there beyond like engage to the level Just at which you're your comfortable. Ego, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I feel like musicians ha- all have to get this at some point and you can extremely tell when someone has not play a show for no one. Yeah. Play a show for no one. And then you figured it out. Like print a hundred get... books and, and sell less than 10. 
Show up to a gig and get whipped by everyone on on the bench. Like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, just in general, like failing. <laughs> like, yeah. Failing and then evaluating how it failed. Was it your fault? Was it exterior fault? What could you have done better? Or or even just like, how does it feel to fail is an important yeah. thing. Uh, and like how to use that, how, it's a, how, how it can be a gift. Like when, you know, someone already made Root. We're not going to get that good graphic design for anything. But if someone did root and it's done, and so now we can now it's a gift that we can go do other things. <laughs> like you know, it it would be cool. Maybe sometime we should go on the Discord and like pick apart why some layout is really successful this month. That would be good. How about I just had this thought, and it might not be nothing. It might be not be anything. If we take a break and talk about things that we've done that failed. Or like what yeah. we, we've learned from our own design failure. Oh, yeah, that's good. Because we win too, a little bit too much on this show. <laughs> yeah, let's ego check ourselves. Yeah. Let's, let's <laughs> prove it. <laughs> let's, let's break Kickstarter again. back on the brain trust podcast um we're gonna talk about the times that either design wise or use wise we failed and how that taught us stuff i've i have one example that uh i think of very fondly when i ran a play test of black mass for some people i've never played with before and the character sheets were very okay or kind of bad and it it brought the game to a screeching fucking halt <laughs> like several times when I had to like go look at each individual sheet and be like, Oh, that okay. This is what this ability is. And here's how <laughs> these fit together. And just the, um, how having like basically four hours of unintentional character sheet crit, like <laughs> had me, um, just up the level of, uh, care that I take with, even prototype materials like what that really taught me what it is to be ready for a play test with a character sheet. Yeah. Um, play testing is, I think the, uh, stadium of failure, like <laughs> the Coliseum <laughs> of failure, but it's, it's supposed to be that right. Get your yeah. shit out while before it's published before it's too late. Um, or else you end up with a protest singer first edition. Ooh. Uh, a game that just doesn't mechanically work, but was like inspired by a good idea. Um, yeah, I think my that's probably my biggest design failure, despite it being not necessarily an economic failure. Like some of my other, I, I have bigger monetary flops. It's um, like how to how to win a game of civilization. Like you could get a cultural failure, a military failure. <laughs> or there are many ways to fail, and very yeah. few to succeed. Oh yeah. There's really one way to succeed. Um, I think, yeah, playtesting is an interesting space because a lot of the time I say don't bother. But I think that's because role-playing inherently fills the gaps of a rule book. Like, actual play uh, yeah. will put 
sealer over anything that you don't include in the rules because that's part of play imagining and just like rolling with what you have but i think that fails when you are messing with novel systems or um yeah things that are not necessarily as directly inspired by existing stuff because i think that's the thing i take for granted as a game designer a lot of the time if I use a system like a D6 pool or something like just lift from the Ghostbusters RPG, uh, that I'm like, this game came out 30 years ago. It's good to go. So I don't, yeah. need, I don't need to check if, you know, if you roll five D6, one of them is probably a six. Like, yeah, I trust that they did that math back then and I'm stealing <laughs> from that. So like so the math didn't change. <laughs> But a lot of the things that uh, I have made that don't work so nice are because that they didn't get tested or didn't get tested enough, and I tried to make a leap from beyond existing comforts of roleplay. I would be super fine publishing a game tomorrow that's just like, you know, roll D20 plus stat. And if it's high, then you did a good job because there's nothing there that needs further bandages. But when you come up with experimental, your design mm -hmm. goal, the more support you need inside the text itself for that. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm super glad that guide got it because it is a much better end result, but a lot of the early phases of it where we're sending each other iPhone videos of like, I think if a card goes here, then it's like good. Um, tr- Seriously. Tr- it was like that. Like I was just, it's like <laughs> long views of our desks and you only see our hands. And it's just Adam. I going like, uh, yeah, I think uh, the, they'll slip in like this. And this, this actually uh, revolves around this piece. And- <laughs> um, yeah. A lot of just like, theory bashing like not even theory crafting it's just like watching those videos made me feel absolutely out of my mind like what am i trying to even communicate here i imagine now too especially with the game being done that those videos don't make a fucking lick of sense so that's actually interesting when i when i was first getting like how the pentagram worked in guide i brought like a couple members of my game group over they like came early one day and i just drew a big pentagram and i was like we're gonna just like stand around this for a second and just like see how that feels and then i even had them like pulling cards and putting them on different squares and just like asking like what do you feel like you should be doing with the cards right now and some very early abstract focus testing that i hadn't done for something just because it's like such a geometric game yeah the and the format that we did it obviously with like the live design and the influence design is a major part of that so then we had this like busted up crayon box with four crayons in it we're like well we have to use these <laughs> one um, of them's like really sharp it's <laughs> made of glass one of them is worn down to the paper but we won't tear the paper away to expose more wax so you just have to like really <laughs> get in there uh well, but even just like the lanterns for the the guide is such a good example because it's a, a series of failures that led to a success yeah but even evaluating like is the pentagram the lines or is it the spaces that the lines create like there's such an interesting stuff to play with there but to to scale back and to get more into like 
how mechanics don't work. I, I think a lot of that too comes up from your your day one of what is this game supposed to do? What kind of stories is it going to tell? Who are the characters? All this stuff that's like crucial needs to kind of it needs to have at least a soft answer before you should start anything. Right. Um, and whatever that answer is and whatever the questions are, write it down and then forget that document and then look at it when you, later on when you have some prototypes or like when you've got your first round of playtesting feedback, like having explicit like I do mechanical, experimental and aesthetic design goals. So like what do I want people to be doing? What space do I want this game to be pushing? And what feeling do I want out of it? Like, what's the vibe design? Yeah, um, that's, I think, so to harp on it a little more, that game Aurora that's out today uh, is, I think, accomplish. It, it's really successful at doing what I have these pillars of. My My day one is I want to make a game that's, for isolation and for coming together later. And then day two is like, I like these games like downfall and Icarus, but I want to win. I want to feel good because the world feels bad. So like, I now know that I have this mechanical restraint of being able to be played remotely and together. And that's, that's like important. That's my foundation. Then what do I do with that? Oh, I'm going to tell a story uh, again, like hope punk of that, that it feels like the opposite of how everyday life often feels right now. And I think that is kind of a lightning in the bottle thing, but you know, like it, uh, circumstance got me here. Art is this in a, in a moment and in conversation with totally its elements. Yeah. But then I had this in my notebook, I wrote down like, who are the players or like, who are the characters and why are they, what is their like thing? Mm -hmm. And I had that blank for a while and I like wrote the whole first phase because phase one sort of exists outside of the story. It's like a meta thing that you do basically like prepping the material goods that you need to play the story. Um, So it's more like a creative activity that gets your juices going. So by the time you get to the third phase and tell the story, like pretty ingrained in how those things, the symbols that you create, like have power because you gave them anyway. Mm. So I decide I need to figure out who these player characters are and what they're doing before I can figure out how they work. And I think it goes back to the episode we did ages ago with Nathan, which is maybe the first one. Yeah. Front of the Um, show, Nathan D. Polito heavily inspired both Adam and I like, from a design uh, purely exp- in an experimental way with the Design Games podcast with him and Will Hindmarch. That, yeah, like, it's honestly not... It's kind of required it's, listening it's, at this point. Yeah, I was going to say, it's 101 through, like, 401. Like, you need yeah. <laughs> to listen to that show to understand uh, just how things work in a theoretical way. Yeah, and it's so I, fucking good. <laughs> you you me. get Thank in. You, Nathan and I, I never finished because I end up in this um, space in the middle of more targeted theory poking of like, uh, like how does a game end or what is experience points or stuff like that that doesn't yeah. all 
a lot of that stuff, I think, especially at the time it was coming out, is targeted at indie spins on trad gaming. And now that we're so deep, like indie became such a deep rabbit hole of like really beautiful poetic stuff that that exists in this space now. And there's still trad stuff being made that's innovative. And like there's so many branches within just indie game design that not all of it's applicable, but I would say the first like genuine 10, maybe 20 episodes of that show is, is cursory design knowledge that (laughs) that you literally need it turns Uh, into like a yeah and it's so well plotted and focused that i actually have saved the last like three episodes of that podcast as like desmond's final book in lost like (laughs) that i do not want to listen to nathan and will say goodbye on it it's just like something i'm not interested in hearing these two voices i've spent so much time with um, this is a sideways, but, um, because I'm recording from my game shelf, like literally inside of it, um, <laughs> I'm next to my, Adam's game- got a high cube score. He's in a cube talking to cubes. Uh, that's filled with cubes. I got a new, I'm trying a new podcast setup that maybe cuts out the highway a little bit more. Um, the quote unquote human factor is what Adam has called it. <laughs> uh, I have on my left here my design shelf so there's just like dice and playing cards and my Django tower and some sketchbooks and like just pieces I guess a lot of aspects of play that you can like play with but then also some books and uh, I have the Cobalt Complete Guide to Game Design which is wow. not uh, I-, I read that so long ago holy shit it's not inherently for role playing there's a lot of stuff in here about strategy stuff and and game shit actually this one maybe is a role playing i have a couple of theirs there's a board game design one and a yeah that's cobalt presses uh the wolfgang bauer and everybody yeah i actually super highly recommend those especially the strategy one that is separate from the role playing one because there's a lot to learn. It goes back to what we we're talking about with layout. There's so much more to learn outside of role playing that will inform your role playing design. Um, in the same way that like you want to engage with layout that's not just RPG books, because that's yeah. where there's a, a much larger library to pull from, and a lot more innovation outside of this sphere. Um, those are some really helpful texts to evaluate what you're doing before you get so far because i think uh, a lot of the time designs that i've had that have failed i don't build that foundation i don't ask myself those questions and i just start writing or i just start crunching dice whatever and Mm -hmm. then i get too far and instead of scratching my head and go why is this not clicking i i think this is a i think this is what happens with with first edition or protesting because it's so early in my design life that i didn't ask those questions beyond i want these to be like magic using guitar players and that's cool as fuck which it is but like (laughs) what do i do with that especially and what i was texting you this week is like what does a game master do with that how do you challenge somebody who can't die or how do you make an interesting narrative framework when the game doesn't have necessarily support for 
narrative stuff or drama. Like it just is a, a resolution, a resolution tool with no, um, direction. It's, it's, um, really aimless. Mm. And I think that's a pretty immense design failure, uh, which is a shame because the game looks really great, especially with Sally's art and everything. And I truthfully sold, uh, I don't know, 70 copies of the zine. And like, I know it's unplayable. So uh, th- that's part <laughs> well, of the reason I want to re-engage with it. It's like to, f- to redeem the failure that I know I made, whether nobody wants to tell me that it's bad, but like, I right. know it could be very good and it wasn't. So like you, you've just done a postmortem on it. And like, that is so useful to like, you know, the game has, I made it and put it out and it lived. And here is, like what happened for me in that design and what happened to other people. So like you're outlining a cool thing, which is like, no one has, has said anything. The all feedback on participating has been positive. Right. So like, yeah. And that's part of the problem. Truthfully. (laughs) Yeah. That's like, that's something that you are identifying is a design flaw um, that you haven't heard. Like uh, there there hasn't been like a play report, which is a, a thing that sometimes you look for in role playing games. Um, and I would say that the lack of it is pretty telling too. Right. <laughs> to, yeah. To sell 70 copies of a game and not have anyone tell you about it is pretty alert, alarming that like, <laughs> I wonder why none of these 70 people had a good enough time engaging with this to come back. Uh, that's why. But I, I also see people like recommending protest hero online, at least sometimes like it's, it's more than none. Um, so there's, I'm not saying like, you know, this is to say that's one part of a postmortem and the really important part is how how are you internalizing that and using that to make your design better, which you're totally doing. So yeah. what what Adam's doing right now is really good. It's a really good thing to do. And I look forward to doing that, like having a game be out for a year and then coming back and just like, whether it's spending half an hour, just a concerted effort thinking about it or whatever. That's a good thing to do. I know I am about to sit down and do this for the first devlog for this ghost has a discord in it. This this ghost is a discord. Um, <laughs> and how already the huge amount of feedback and the uh, everything is like, uh, you know, how to do that open open development thing. Yeah, I think feedback is a, is such an interesting and like important aspect of evaluation, but like you should be doing quite a bit of that on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't always expect other people to tell you the things that are, are or are not working or, or things that are exceptional about your design. Like you, you're the ultimate judge, jury, executioner of your own work. Because um, similarly, I'll look at something like Minimum Rage, which came out at the same time as Protest Singer. It sold less well, but it uses a much more trad system. It's effectively the, the Mutant Year Zero system. Um, it just didn't do as well, but like, I think I did a good enough job on designing it that I don't actually have any interest in revisiting it in the yeah. same way that like protest singer, I kind of am excited to like make it what it, I think it deserved to be the first time. Um, minimum yeah. rage is what it deserved to be the first time. I'm fine with that. And when it sells out, I'm, I'm just not going to reprint it. Cause like it didn't, it wasn't super popular and that's fine yeah. too. I think that comes back to what we were talking about. It's an, that one is an economic failure. But it's not a design failure. It's fine. 
Um, yeah, you you knew, you got if not like from out the gate your goal with that you like hit all your creative and aesthetic goals with it totally and so that's great you did it um, you know that is also to say like when you put out a game maybe just don't read it for like four months you're you're fine you're good with that like come back you know it's important to take that time away from something to let it live out there and yeah. It's it's interesting. It, it's something I struggle with with music too, and I feel like we could go on about this all day. But like, there's such a um, the audience of niche things are always clamoring for like new and innovative things. So if you publish a game, you walk away from it for two months to revisit it. Honestly, a lot of people are will have forgot about it. You might I I forget about some stuff I I publish. Yeah, because so much of the voice of the subculture is like we want this new shiny thing and you got to strike while the iron's hot, especially as designers. I know a lot of us were designing four things at once. And as soon as you publish one, you just move to the other three. Um, It's really hard to find that balance of like engaging with something as you're making it and after it's air quotes finished yeah. um there's not really like a point that i'm making here beyond like it's hard I, to find I, that balance of h- how to engage with something that you worked on in past tense and want to work on in future tense yeah i i totally get you I, it's like acknowledging the relationship you have with your work and how uh like what a honeymoon period is like with an idea and like everything like that i know that i'm really bad at the other side of it like i will make a game and then never talk about it again just because like i don't know how to talk about it or like i'm (laughs) i for example someone bought black mass the other day it happens sometimes whatever it's a game i'm almost out of print copies that's cool but i just like was surprised (laughs) i just saw it i was like wow uh Wow, someone's thinking about this. That's weird. I'm yeah. not. <laughs> like uh, when I told you someone was playing Minimum Rage on a podcast, and I was like, what? That came out How? two or three How? years ago. Yeah. And it's just the thing with role-playing games is that people won't start playing your game until six months after you put it out, and they buy it. <laughs> that's just kind of like, I know that from the trad field. That's like, you know, what what the expectation is. And uh, I, I feel like I'm really good at cultivating a relationship with my work as i'm making it where it's very healthy where i can just kill my darlings whenever i need to and then once something is printed and shipped uh i'm not marketing it or anything that's just like a pace that works for me and i don't know just acknowledging that relationship like you said is really important and i don't know i i'm not thinking forwardly about any you know second edition stuff but um i am excited maybe one day i'll do like a black mass postmortem or we'll do a guide postmortem on here and and see what's up but yeah i'm enjoying it right now as this like phase of my design journey of like i started out i put a bunch of shit out then i got good and i put a bunch more shit out <laughs> then i kind of got some credit for the good ones and now i'm in a place where i have a lot of time and i don't really I I don't have this excitement that I've had with guide or with cobwebs of like, here's a novel thing that I need the world to see. 
So that sort of slowdown or like going downhill, I guess I would call it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm coasting it a little bit. Gives me that presence of mind and available time to then think right. of, of what did I learn in 2019 that I could apply to 2017? How do I continue cool. to evolve as not just a designer and publisher, but like the way that I get enjoyment from making these things and I expect enjoyment to be uh, made from engaging with them as an audience member. It sounds like you are in a very healthy way revisiting that stuff with all the nostalgia and sentimentality it deserves, but without it feeling like a wound or something like that. Yeah, I don't I don't think I'm looking at a lot of these with rose-colored glasses of like this was a a missed a misfire. Like minimum range I said I did what I wanted and it didn't perform, but like I don't really care. Yeah. And that's obviously like a privilege to not care. Uh but it's also but, just the truth of book publishing. Like it's going to yeah, be like that. Not everything is yeah. a home run, but can all be zingers. Some things you can say like, "Oh, this one didn't work as well cuz I did a thing." Like, it's not just circumstance or it's not just bad luck. Um, And if that thing was important to you then and maybe still important to you now, which I think Protest Singer is this kind of perfect storm of a design goal that was not quite met, but I'd still like to meet. So it seemed, and and same with Babes, like a thing that I really loved, but I didn't adequately put myself into now i have the ability to put myself into and then have a further accomplish and display that like affection i have for the medium yeah and it's a cool thing about our art form here that you can do that and it's (laughs) and you can make money doing that right (laughs) which is great yeah you can't fucking do the mona lisa again bro even if you think (laughs) you messed up (laughs) like I really like it, but I wish she's smiling a little bit more, so I'm going to do I it can't, again. I can't tell if she's smiling or not. Isn't that weird? I have some a little bit of feedback. I thought that the way, the way it looked was great, <laughs> but I do not really know if she is smiling. Yeah. If if you're out here listening and thinking about your own designs uh, and, and the relationship you have with that work, why not just revisit something even from six months ago or a year ago or even more? If um. If you've been making, oh, do you hear a little bit of that human factor outside? Yeah, that's on your end this time, huh? Yeah, that's what we call the human factor. Um, so the rare uh, treat. Uh, yeah, that's my landlord. Uh, no, bike gangs taking over my neighborhood. That's it. Um, <laughs> so go go back to that work and uh, take a page out of Adam's book and with like find out if you if you open something and feel if you feel uh some like a heartache or something like explore why you're feeling that and just like have a conversation with yourself at that point in your life. Um, you know, what, what was, find the things that were successful in it, find the things that you could do better. Don't think of it in terms of good and bad and think of it in terms of like weak or strong or interesting. And, uh, I think that's just, I think we're actually just giving people good advice now, which is a cool thing for the (laughs) podcast. (laughs) We're just trying new ground. (laughs) Yeah, we thought we would try something new and say poignant shit. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I think this was ended up being a good ep on accident, in spite of ourselves again, where we just come in 
Looney Tunes, and then we're like <laughs> considerate the, people. Then, a, then Adult Swim happens, yeah. <laughs> like the pool Adult Swim, not like the show, not like the network. Hey, hey, Will, I turned into a pickle. Will, I turned my game into a pickle. <laughs> oh, pickle Rick! <laughs> pickle Adam! I turn, um, <laughs> turn my role-playing game into a pickle. I'm role-playing as a pickle, Will. <laughs> get your shit out of here! Your Morty voice is on fire. And get it out! Uh, is it really? I, uh, Jesus. <laughs> this it's, is actually a bad development in my life that I can do a good <laughs> Morty what impression. Ha- <laughs> what, uh... What comes on after Adult Swim is like an infomercials, like 3 a.m. Uh, the, well, then you get all the good um, uh, Wham City, uh, Alan Resnick infomercials. <laughs> Wait, yeah. oh no, I got it. Imagine owning the best love songs of the 90s. <laughs> and then Michael Bolton starts screaming. How am I supposed to live without you? Uh, imagine if you can, following both of us on Twitter... I'm at WC Game Co. Imagine <laughs> owning. <laughs> Imagine owning we, all the Twitter handles of the Brain Trust. Here, compiled together for the first time. <laughs> for two easy payments of will.com or at will <laughs> underscore Yopst. Uh, yeah, this is good. This is when you fell asleep with the TV on and you just woke up. Uh, yeah. You're about to shut it off. Just we've got, yep, shut we've got this one down. Trust, we've this got all the trust, trust listeners back. Yeah, and hand emoji, brain shake emoji. Goodbye, <laughs> everybody. <laughs>